the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome, everybody. Everybody. I'm Rob Black. Been in the industry of financials for almost 20 years. Along the way, I've done events tied towards wealth preservation, wealth creation. I've done events tied towards retirement. I do all sorts of of ideas out there. I try to bring content to you that's suitable for you. I'm doing a series of shows tied towards the basics, getting you kind of excited to understand the essentials of, of things financial. You know, like, why do you need whole life insurance? If you're 92 years old and die, who needs that money, right? Especially if you go with a cheaper insurance for the years of your life where you need to replace your income in case of a worst-case scenario. You'll have saved more. You'll die at 92 with a ton of money, like my grandmother did. Talk about insurance in ways that make sense to you. Insure what you can't afford to lose. A friend of mine, his son, nowhere, had something go wrong in his, his brain and has been in a coma for a long period of time. And it's very, very expensive. You insure your health because you can't afford to lose it. You insure health because health care is expensive. So you got to start thinking really simple ideas like this. I've talked about setting priorities, you know, uh, Come up with five of them. You want to live in retirement from age 60 to 100 because you've heard Social Security is not that much money. So you need a big nest egg. That's your number one priority, in my opinion. You work from 20 to 60. You basically live off that savings from age 60 to 100 because Social Security is not much. And then you have other priorities. You want to own a home. You want to have a vacation home. Now, vacation homes are not as important as owning a home, right? So you, you prioritize, and then you may want kids. Kids are a $250,000 to $300,000 decision from age 0 to 17. Um, and that's a lot. Go ask a parent, would you have more money if you didn't have a kid? And probably the answer is yes. Uh, so we talked about that and setting a budget so that you could fund those priorities. Today I want to talk a little bit more about investing basics, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Um, this is a lesson. Over the longer term, stocks are your best idea. 
Owning a stock is like owning a company. You become, you own shares of it. You're entitled to share in the earnings. You're entitled to share in the, you know, if they have a dividend, they'll pay you to own it. You know, you get some of the income from the company. Stocks have historically provided the highest returns of any asset class, close to 10% a year over the long run. Next best performing asset class is bonds. Then comes long-term treasuries, which has averaged more than 5%. Then comes real estate. A lot of people think real estate's the best investment they've ever made. It's not. It's the best liability that you've taken on. It's probably worked out for you over time. But if you invested the same amount of down payment into your home that you put into a, a stock market mutual fund, S&P 500 fund, and you gave it the same amount of funding where you pay, you know, maintenance, you pay for your mortgage, every month you put that in the stock market, you end up with over four times as much from an S&P 500 fund than real estate over a 30-year period. Now, again, there's always going to be exceptions to that, but know that, you know, stocks are the way to go. Over the short term, stocks are the most volatile. It's crazy. There was one day back in 1914 where the stock market dropped 24% in one day. On October 19, 1987, the stock market lost 22% in one day. It probably scared the bejesus out of people. Like, like, ah, I'm never going to invest again. Because putting money into something that you think is stable and then seeing it volatile, it, it upsets you. If you had invested in NASDAQ index fund around the time of the market's peak in March 2000, you know, you're, you're still not whole. You would have lost three-fourths of your money over the next three years. And then in the last five years, the stock market's up 200%. Like, over the short term, it's really volatile. Over the long term, it really works out. Risky investments generally pay more than safe ones, except for when they fail. So I would rather you own shares of Nike than Under Armour. Longer term, if you want to own Under Armour, I think it's a brand that's really growing nicely. I think I saw you know, some of the statistics that Nike has 99% of the basketball market and Under Armour has got 1%. Um, that may not be quite right, but you get the idea there. Um, I like both. But who was the riskier one? Under Armour, for sure. So you have to find names of companies that you like, names of companies that have been around since you were a little kid. Like, you've known about Visa, you've known about American Express, you can own those companies. Now, it is the 21st century, and Silicon Valley wants to steal their business. Not steal their business, take their market share. So we're coming up with apps to you know, do new forms of payment, and that may or may not work in their favors. The big, biggest single determiner of stock prices over time is earnings. So know that. You have to get kind of a picture of what risk is, what reward is. But you also have to understand that, like, Apple makes billions of dollars, and that's what makes it intriguing. Microsoft made billions of dollars. Now, is Microsoft losing because there is a shift? Absolutely. So you have to know the risk. But... How long can they make billions from desktops and notebooks and from office? How fast can they shift into the cloud where, you know, the business trend is going? It's a, a, a kind of a question. So you can't fall in love with a stock and say it's the greatest thing ever. 
you have to fall in love with the stock and say, but I will break up with you if the trend changes or the story changes. Um, you know, General Mills bought a company called Annie's, which makes organic uh, bunny-shaped pasta, and they make some other snacks as well. Because General Mills is like, okay, we're in the grocery store, but we're not well-known for being the organic guys. They are. And the trend is moving more towards the organic guys. And there's so many ways to play trends. You could make your own mutual fund, for instance, if you wanted to, and invest in things like Sprouts and Whole Foods or previously Annie's and things like that. You could play trends. There's no doubt about it. You know, there's a trend that America's getting older. And as we get older, what do we do? We take more health care. So that could be you could invest in CVS or Walgreens. CVS is doing a lot of clinics inside their stores now. Will that work? Will that not work? Because I really don't want to go see the doctor. But I do get my flu shot. Like, I, like there's things like you kind of get the idea, right? Or you can invest in Merck or Pfizer or Genentech. Uh, back in the day, you could invest in Genentech, and then they got acquired. You can go after Gilead Sciences. You can go after a biotech mutual fund where, you know, the cure for Ebola is being developed in some biotech company, and when they get it, will it be a billion-dollar drug? Maybe. The cure for cancer is being developed, or the treatments for cancers are being developed, and will that be a billion-dollar franchise? Yeah. So there's many, many, many ways of investing, and you become an owner of that trend, or you become an owner of that stock and their earnings. I do events, you know, kind of like what I'm talking about right now, you can learn more about me at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. I typically charge $5 to give all of that to charity. But it's um, you can find out more about my events at robblack.com. Today, I'm talking about stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Take a break here. I'll be right back. I'm Rob Black. Doing a little back to school today. Today's topic, students, or is my, I had a, I took a class called party physics from a NASA scientist once. And basically we figured out how to solve physics problems via very complicated, you know, party physics problems um, by using, you know, the laws of physics. And I always found it interesting, like, you know, that was intriguing to me. A teacher who kind of got down to my level and spoke my language. Uh, He referred to us as citizens instead of students. So he goes, good day, citizens. Um, And it was wild. For instance, this guy, he once played harmonica on a um, track of a recorded album. Baby, we were born to run Bruce Springsteen, and he played harmonica on a track. And you know, you look at the album notes, and there he is. Um, and uh, he'd play the album in class, and he, he would play the harmonica part. He was he was a little bit of a loose thinker. But what I liked about it was it was he was a teacher. And the thing that I liked the most about the radio show I do is I try to teach a little bit about personal finance. 
Today we're talking about stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Um, I changed up the topics. I've come up with basically 20 ideas that you need to know um, to be financially savvy, to get to the point where you could, you know, save 15% of your paycheck. And, you know, if you want to own stocks, that's great. If you want to own mutual funds, that's great. You want to be good at what you do. And what you don't want to do is, like, buy companies that you don't understand. What you don't want to do is buy a name of a company that you're not going to take the time to read their financial statements. Uh, it's a lot of homework. It's a lot of effort to be successful. You know, the biggest thing that moves a stock or a mutual fund, in my opinion, is earnings, corporate earnings. How often do you hear, like, Apple lost a lot of money this quarter. They sold a record number of phones, but they made no money. You know, McDonald's, they're, they're giving away their, their food, and they've, they've earned nothing. You don't hear it. Businesses are in, in business. They're corporations. Corporations are technically human beings, according to the IRS. And, like, you go to work, and you earn money, right? These guys go to work, and they earn money. They're stocks. Over the short-term, stock prices fluctuate. But over the long-term, they work really well based on earnings, so if you're going to buy a company like a Facebook that doesn't have earnings for the first couple of years, you're taking a lot more risk until they do have earnings. And now that they're earning a billion plus dollars a quarter, and then like you'll hear statistics like McDonald's earns you know 140 million dollars every 13 minutes. Or you'll you'll hear things like that, and that's a good thing. Um, again, I'm not pushing McDonald's in any way, shape, or form. I'm just trying to be relatable. Rising interest rates are bad for bonds. My personal opinion, because I'm t- doing this series kind of for 20-somethings and 30-somethings, maybe a little 40-somethings, is that you don't need a lot of bonds. Bonds give you income. Bonds are IOUs. When you own a share of a company, you become an owner of the company. When you own bonds, you basically become a lender to that company. And, you know, we're in a very low, envi- low interest rate environment right now, so borrowing is really, it doesn't pay a lot. Um, Apple could say, you know what, Rob, do you want to loan us money? Or we're going to go to a bank and borrow money. And if I want 5%, they're going to say, screw you, we're a pretty good company. We're going to go borrow it for 2%, 3%. So low interest rates are bad for you and me, the guys who want to lend money at a high interest rate. Um, so know that higher interest rates would hurt bonds because people would be selling the ones that they got now They'll dump them to get rid of them so they can lock in at a higher one. Just something to think about. Inflation is the biggest threat to your investments. Inflation is the biggest threat to your retirement. Things cost more. Um, you know, my first apartment that I rented in San Francisco was like 1200 a month. And now that same apartment's going for over 3000 Things cost more. So if I want to go to Hawaii when I retire. The airline probably going to charge me more in 20 years than they are today. The hotel's probably going to charge me more in 20 years than they are today. The steaks and the food costs over there are going to cost more than they do today. Um, so inflation's the biggest, you know, I could save a lot of money for retirement. I could save a million dollars. And it still may not be enough because of inflation. And we don't know what's going to hit, get hit with the worst amount of inflation. Like, college costs have been rocketing. So if you have a kid, the cost to send your kid to college has been going up 6 7% a year consistently. 
So you have to save more if you want to send him to college, or you have to borrow more to send him to college, or he's going to have to borrow more to go through college. So know that inflation is the biggest boogeyman. Historically, inflation is about 3.2%. So it strips the value of your investment. So you have to aim for better than 3.2%. And that's why you aim for stocks which have an average of 10%. A diversified portfolio is less risky than a portfolio that's concentrated in any one sector. Like in, in 1998, you were a rock star if you owned the NASDAQ. In 2000, you were a loser if you owned the NASDAQ. And the NASDAQ was tech-heavy. Because the listing requirements to get on the Dow Jones Industrial Average was different than the listing requirements to get on the NASDAQ. A lot of companies on the NASDAQ didn't have earnings. They didn't, weren't earning money. Companies like WebVan, we've got this great idea. We're going to bring you groceries and put them in your house for you. Pets.com, you can order dog treats and we'll bring it to you. And they had explosive revenue, but they never had earnings, and that's why they failed. They needed people to buy more of their stocks, and people said, you know what, you don't have earnings, we're not going to buy it. So being concentrated can get you a home run, but it can also get you a strikeout pretty fast. Index mutual funds often outperform actively managed mutual funds. I think the number one mistake investors make are going with, with actively managed mutual funds. An index fund will, like, there's 500 top companies in America, and they're called, they're in the Standard & Poor's 500 Index. Or there's a biotech index, which has 100 biotech companies in it. Or there's a you know, multinationals that pay a lot of dividends, index fund. I would rather you go with the index fund and kind of eliminate the person that you're paying for the relationship to manage your mutual fund because you're paying them. And I'd rather you invest in capitalism, cold, hard capitalism, than invest in, you know, a, a guy. Like, for instance, the other day, I met a guy named Garrett. And I went out of my way to remember his name, Garrett, 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 Garrett. And I was like, who, what other Garretts do I know? And there's a Garrett Van Wagner back in the 1990s who was this great genius mutual fund manager. He picked tech stocks. And now today I can't find him anymore because he used to pick tech stocks. He was really good at it. But when tech stocks went against him, he went away. Um, so know that you don't really need that guy who's super smart. You need capitalism. You need to invest in corporations who were playing under... We're in this for mon- making money. Um, I don't know. I hope that helps. Index mutual funds, index ETFs, exchange-traded funds, I prefer over actively managed funds, but there are some actively managed funds that I would be interested in. For instance, I don't know how to invest in China. Matthew's funds invest in China, but you pay a lot of money to invest in China if you're going to use a mutual fund. Maybe you want to use an index fund. That's the kind of scenario that I'll paint for you. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. If you have questions, you can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Rob at robblackshow.com. 
Today I'm doing something kind of interesting. I, I've begun a series of 10 shows and linked together. It's everything you need to know on money issues that maybe you didn't learn in school. So I'm calling it Back to School. I've got a cool intercom sound. Today's, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be discussing pros and cons of different investments. Um, the 1990s had a big bull market, and it got people pretty excited about investing. Early 2000, it had a pretty rough fallback. 2008, pretty rough fallback. Recovery since that period, pretty awesome. So there's going to be different periods. But over time, if you take a look at what the stock market has done, and capitalism in particular, if you take a look at a 100-year chart of the stock market in the United States, what you're going to see is it goes up. And it kind of looks like a 45-degree angle. Not quite, but it, when you look at a big chart, you're like, whoa. It started way, 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 way down in the lower left-hand corner, and it's way, way up in the upper right-hand corner. And you look at the years, and there's like World War I's in there, World War II's in there. Kennedy getting assassinated, Reagan getting attempted assassination, Gulf Wars, um, financial crises, um, stagnation, inflation, like just crazy stuff has hit the world events, and it hasn't brought us down because of capitalism. Now, I'm optimistic that capitalism is going to stay around. My, it's my only choice. I can't sit there and go, you know what? I, I think we're all doomed. I, I think this is going to go badly. Because since 1926, stocks have returned nearly 10% a year. And that included, you know, even the recent most horrific bear market. If you're looking to invest money you need in a year, you don't want the stock market. If you're looking to, like, for instance, my brother Michael got out of the stock market in the 1990s because the savings loan thrust crisis in the early 90s. He, want, he needed his money that he had saved for retirement. Now he's going to work till the day he dies. He's got nothing saved for retirement. So if you look at some severe examples, you'll probably freak yourself out and say, I can't do this. But again, I have no choice. I believe in capitalism, and if I don't invest in stocks, what am I going to invest in? If capitalism doesn't work, then real estate's not going to work. We need people to buy houses. If real estate doesn't work, like then like bonds, because we lend money to companies, to people with mortgages, like we, they're all interconnected. From 2000 to 2002, bonds outperformed stocks, and people would be like, woo Bonds, bonds, bonds. But the truth is, you kind of want to own a little bit of all of them. And when I say all of them, you could buy stocks that are small, mid, or large. Think of a tic-tac-toe board and put small cap, mid cap, large cap on the going up in each one of the boxes. And then you think value, blended, and growth. Blended is both growth and income or growth and value. Value stocks tend to pay a dividend. Value stocks and income stocks are kind of the same concept. Growth stocks, they're, not, they're, they're growing too fast, and they're saying, you know what, we need this cash. Facebook isn't saying, we're going to have a big dividend and share all of our billions with you. They will, because they will at some point in time get too big, that the only way they can you know, share their cash, share their profits, is, is share the cash. So over periods of five years or more, stock prices closely track corporate profit growth. So if you're not going to be invested for at least five years, don't invest, in my opinion, in stocks. 
Since World War II, an estimated 90% of the stock market's gains have come from profit growth. As profits add up over time, you know, like I said, you'll look at that chart and you'll see, wow, this thing works over time. You'll get it if you look at a 100-year chart of the stock market. Interest rates, um, they could be kind of interesting. When rates go up, when the Federal Reserve says, you know what, we're going to raise interest rates, stocks may not become in, in, in fuego. They may not be in fashion. And I'll give you the example of the 10-year Treasury. If stocks are getting 10% a year and bonds are yielding 0 to 1%, which one are you going to invest in? Because inflation is going to be 2 to 3%, right? So you're going to say, of course, i got to go for stocks. i got to beat inflation. You have to beat inflation. That's the name of the game. So if the 10-year Treasury is under 3.5%, I think you go with stocks. Once you start getting three and a half, four, five percent on your income, on your bonds, I think you go with bonds. That's not set in stone. It is not great advice. But my bond portfolio is, is, is scarce. I have none right now. Um, I do have some income tied towards what are called real estate investment trusts, REITs, which I very much so do like, uh, because I'm, you know, sometimes I'm getting three, four, five, six percent on the fact that I can own an office building that, like, for instance, with real estate investment trusts, they're like stocks. Never own a private rate. Never, ever own a private rate. Own a publicly traded rate, which means it's on a stock market, which means it has to have disclosures, which means um, companies like the groups like the SEC looks at their financials and make sure that they're not ripping you off. Private, you can be ripped off pretty quickly. But interest rates play a big sway on stocks because, again, if I can get 6% lending you money, I'll take it. Whether I'm lending it to a company or, or uh, an individual, I'll take it. If anyone wants to borrow money from me, as long as you've got a good income, I'll lend you money at 6%. Um, no good income, no good job history, I'll lend it to you at 10%. But you can't get that in the stock market right now. You can't get that in the bond market. So sometimes you can get close with like a good uh, real estate investment trust. And again, that's the best way to own real estate especially when you're younger, because you own it. When you buy 100 shares of a REIT, a real estate investment trust, you own 100 shares of it. And that REIT could own real estate in malls, in office properties, in rental properties. It could, and it's awesome. So you can get the exposure to the real estate market, like San Francisco office space. You get the exposure, and when prices go up, your stock goes up. But you don't have to have a mortgage payment. You don't have to have a tenant. They do that for you, and then they share 90% of the income with you. They don't pay corporate taxes, so they give you a big chunk of their income. So REITs are a wonderful way to own real estate and to have income in your portfolio. So as I get older, I will look for more stability in my portfolio with more value and more income tides towards bonds. Because in a bankruptcy, shareholders get almost nothing. Stockholders get almost nothing. But bondholders get some money back. And bondholders tend to do okay over time. Like I said, right now, low interest rate environment is not a very good time to be a bondholder. But you do want to own bonds as you get older. As you, because you can't, when you're 60 years old, go through a 77% correction on a worst day ever on the market. You don't have time to recover from that. That's going to take five to ten years. Because, you know, again, if you're, you see the five years, the importance of it. So as you get older, you put a little bit more money in 
cash and on the sides. Now, mutual funds are a bunch of stocks. And like I said, I tend to like the passive ones, the ones that just are a group of 100 stocks. That it, Any monkey could figure out what 100 goes in it. It's maybe the size of the company. So, like I said, with mutual funds, and even with individual stocks, if you're going to create your own stock portfolio, like 20 stocks, you kind of have a mutual fund. And that's why I said do the tic-tac-toe grid, where you've got some growth, you've got some blended, you've got some value, you've got some small, you've got some mid, some large. So there's things called ETFs, exchange-traded funds. And you can go get an ETF that copies a small-cap index with growth and a small-cap index with value. You can get one that value does a mid-cap growth, mid-cap value, large-cap growth, large-cap value. So those are six choices, and that's all you really need. Eh, let's throw in some international, because we're not U.S.-centric as, a, as an economy or as a world anymore. So you need seven things. And then it, like, if you want like some growth over international, you can go add another fund that's you know more emerging markets. Um, but index funds, growth funds, value funds, sector funds... I think I've hit those all pretty good. You don't want just one because over time, different asset classes and equity groups perform well. Like if interest rates do move higher from these levels, it may create a scenario where people say, you know what? Higher interest rates means a stronger dollar. A stronger dollar means bad things for companies like McDonald's. Their chicken McNuggets in France are suddenly more expensive. And the French people may go, I do not want an expensive nugget. So it could hurt sales. So that may, higher interest rates could, may be telling you that like job market in the United States is good, so our bankers start to raise interest rates because things are heating up. Charge more for the money that they're lending out. Be a little bit more discriminating in the money they're lending out. So that may create an opportunity for small caps to do well. You don't want to bet on one group and like be, ha-ha, I'm right. Um, I don't think you do. So... Keep in mind, the whole name of the game of owning stocks and bonds is to beat inflation. Because inflation devalues your currencies. Deflation, inflation uh, hurts your purchasing power. And you can't, quote-unquote, be safe over the long term. You have to expose your money to capitalism and to crazy volatility that happens from time to time. But over time, if you look at that chart, like I said, it starts in the lower left and ends in the upper right slow and steady through all sorts of market events, through all sorts of economies, through all sorts of headlines, we're wars. It works over time. That's what you have to know about investing. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com.
I'm Rob Black, doing a little Money 101, talking about ways to save, ways to get to retirement, going over what I would refer to as lessons that range from everything from insurance to real estate to buying to selling to how to accumulate wealth. Um, what I've been hitting a lot on today or in this hour is stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. You want to bear in mind that the annual growth rate in stocks, 9.8%, will double your money in a little less than seven years. You factor in inflation, which has historically run about 3% annually, and it'll take you more than 10 years to double your actual buying power. Bonds historically grown at roughly 5.4% will double your money every 12 years. After inflation, it takes 26 years. So you're basically saving a lot of money for your nest egg. It should be your number one priority. Because Social Security is going to kick out maybe somewhere between $1,000 to $3,000 a month, depending on how much you put in and when you take it out, 62 or 70. So I don't think I'm going to work past 60. I don't know if you care to have me on radio. Will you even have a radio at 60? Like, it's interesting to think of this stuff. One thing you want to try to do when you're thinking about buying stocks and bonds and, you know, these money essentials is you, you want to stop right now greed and fear. That's the basics of investing. You want to stop the, you know, um, the, the greed because that's what gets people in trouble. That's when they go, I'm going to take more risk than I should. And that's when you start, you're not accumulating assets like a robot. That's how you want to do it, like a robot. Stocks aren't just pieces of paper. When you buy a share of a stock, you're taking share ownership in it. The company is collectively owned by all the shareholders. There's a lot of different kinds of stocks, like I said. Some buy small, mid, large. Energy versus tech. So there's sectors. Growth versus value. Stock prices track earnings. That's you know, really important that you need to know. Uh, individual stock could be down 30% in one year. And stock market be up 10%. So, you know, they're not linked hand in hand. Wall Street's got a great saying that everyone should, you know, write down. Past performance not indicative of future results. Consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks mentioned. And that, that concept is you can't just buy a winner thinking it's always going to win because there are shifting trends. Now, do I think Facebook has a great future? I do. There's a lot of people who look at that site on a daily basis. 100 million Americans, like, whoa, that's a lot of eyeballs. And you're getting ads delivered. So just because it has a great track record doesn't mean it'll always have a great track record. You know, there once was a company called AOL that, you know, had a similar phenomenal growth story. And that fell apart as people shifted away from, in this case, dial-up service with content to I got my own dial-up service from my own cable modem, and there's a lot of content out there. I don't need them to be a curator of it. You can't tell how expensive a stock or a mutual fund is just by looking at it. it there's no reflection. A dollar stock is not cheaper than a $100 stock. If there's 100 million shares issued at a dollar or one share issued at $100 million, they're the same exact size of the company. So a stock price doesn't mean anything. It only means something when you start putting metrics on top of it or inside of it, like a price-to-earnings ratio, price-to-sales ratio. I think it's smarter to buy and hold 
great companies than it is to try to day trade. I don't know one day trader with a million dollars. I don't know one person who is, has been able to quit their job and successfully trade for a living. So the ownership structure of owning companies is something I like. Um, to be honest with you, I like more value in my stocks than I do growth. I'm willing to sacrifice growth. Like if a company is growing their revenue, you know, it's doubling every three years. I'll go for a company that's doubling revenue every seven years if they're willing to give me some income like a dividend for holding on to it. There's a great resource out there called Value Line. And it's at your library. You can go find it. And it gives you a statistic called price to earnings, but it shows you on a five-year basis. So like a company like Microsoft may have been as high of a PE of 40, so the price of the company versus its earnings, or it could have been as low as 15. The stock market was as low as 10 five years ago when the market was struggling. The value of the stock market, the price you pay for earnings was low. It was like 8. Historically, it's been somewhere between 15 and 18. So that's why the market doubled. It just got back to, you know, deserving or earning a higher valuation. Won't always happen like that. But when the you know when there was a crash back in two thousands when you know a lot of air came out of the stock market, it was because we were trading, you know, companies at twenty four, twenty five times earnings. And historically you want somewhere between fifteen and twenty four an established company. Now you have to pay more of a higher PE for companies like Facebook, but you get the growth. But you also get the volatility when that, that slows down, it's going to hurt the stock. It's not going to be the same winner that you've known for such a long time. There's a couple other metrics inside stocks that you should look for. One's called price-to-sales ratio, and one's called price-to-book, uh, price-to-book value. If you can learn these terms, and I just gave you price-to-sales ratio, go Google it. And it'll probably take you to a website called Investopedia, and like, you'll learn that sales, historically, like maybe software companies, you're willing to pay for a higher price to sales ratio because their margins are higher. It takes time, and I tend not to recommend individual stocks for individual people. I prefer target funds or index funds, and that can create as much wealth as you know someone like I can. With that said, be patient. Take your time. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblack.com. Find me online, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.